This is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, where we discuss developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. On today's podcast episode, we're talking about, well, podcasts. The popularity of podcasts is surging as millions of listeners tune to their smartphones every day for audio content ranging from quick news to immersive storytelling. During a recent session organized by Talks at GS, a program where leading thinkers come to Goldman to share insights and ideas on a variety of topics, I sat down with two of the most popular podcast hosts and producers, Alex Blumberg of Gimlet Media and Jacob Weisberg of Slate. We talked about what makes for a great podcast and how podcasts are changing media and journalism. Here is part of our conversation. Alex is the founder and CEO of Gimlet Media which runs a bunch of podcasts. I'm sure a lot of you have listened to them. And Jacob is the uh, host of Trumpcast and, um, and also oversees a business at Slate, which has a, obviously an online presence, but also oversees a whole bunch of podcasts and uh, Panoply, uh, under the Panoply brand. Is it a brand or is it a... It's a, it's a company. Platform? And or? thank you. You're the first person to pronounce it correctly. Everyone, everyone says Panoply as a brand <laughs> of Monopoly, but it is in fact Panoply. All right, so uh, we'll get right to it. Um, you both made the transition from, I guess we'd call it old media, to a, a, new, a new format. Um, and so why don't you talk a little bit about how you made that transition and why you, why you took the leap? Yeah, I mean, I, can, I, can, I, I, I felt like, um, in many ways, I was pushed out. I was very happily <laughs> ensconced in old media. Uh, and you know, my background is, at, uh, is in public radio. I, I worked at uh, This American Life, and, um, and while This American Life started a show called Planet Money, which was on NPR. And, um, and uh, so, so and, and for me, it was just like, sort of like, saw the growth that was happening, saw the success that we were having at Planet Money, saw the success that Slate was having with podcasts and all these other independents, and I thought, like, we should do more of this, you know? And, and because it was just hard to get any traction there. And so after trying for many years, basically, to try to figure out some way where we could do more of it within and we could sort of create new models and maybe do sort of like, you know, have like the creators have some part of it and it just never worked. And so then I was like, oh, I guess I just got to go out on my own. But it was like very much like it was a very reluctant, I was a reluctant entrepreneur. It's a bit like the founding of Politico where they tried to incubate Politico within that Washington Post finally gave up and started their own thing. <laughs> yeah. Jacob, how about you? I was going to say, if you want some more detail, I recommend the first season was Startup. Yes. No, I, I, uh, <laughs> um, the, well, I, I originally moved online from print in 1996. My mentor in journalism was someone named Michael Kinsley, and we had worked together at the New Republic, and we sort of had cooked up this idea of a magazine that would have something to do with this new internet thing, and we thought it would solve the problem of lead time, the period between when you finished your article and when the subscribers received the magazine in the mail, and it turned out to be a little more than that, but podcasting came about for there's us. some There's some magazines that are still trying to figure that yeah. out. <laughs> exactly. Well, when we started Slate, it had page numbers and came out once a week online. Uh-huh. We saw people would read it beginning to end the same way they read The Economist. Um, but uh, we had a partnership with NPR to produce a show that's since gone off the air called Day to Day, which was meant to be a midday show um, between Morning Edition and All Things Considered. And we worked on that um, quite fruitfully for a couple of years. It was done out of L.A. Uh, but to work on that show, we hired some, someone named Andy Bowers, who'd been a longtime NPR reporter and producer. And after a couple of years of the show, he said, that, you know, the show's getting a little frustrating for various reasons, but there's this new technology called podcasting, and I really think we should try it. 
And I said, great. And he started, the first podcasts we did were uh, just him reading Slate articles aloud. Um, but that morphed into our first show, which is still on the air, which is what's now the Slate Political Gab Fest. And that was sort of our original format of just three regulars talking once a week about a topic. So, Alex, when you started, you know, you decided to go just all in podcasting alone. Was yes. that a tough decision? And I mean, it happened, happened to coincide with the, the ascendance of, uh, of Serial. How, yeah. how did that all play out? Well, so... So I was, um, I had a lot to do once I decided to do that. I, I, I sort of, re- I had a tearful announcement at Planet Money that I was going to go off on my own, and I like laid the groundwork and I actually hung around for like eight months. And then finally, sort of like, and then I was still working at This American Life, and I was trying to sort of like raise capital. Um, and I knew that I was going to not have any, um, I had no more platform, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go from an audience of millions to nothing. And I didn't have a Twitter. I didn't, I don't think I had a Twitter account. So I had to open a Twitter account. I had no personal brand whatsoever. Uh, and so the only thing I could do to think to gather attention to myself and, and this new venture that I wanted to start was to, was to record it. Um, so I started recording all these meetings with investors that I was having. And I put it together into sort of our first podcast, which was called Startup. And it was sort of like it started as the documentation of this starting of the pod- podcast. It was a podcast about the starting of a podcasting company. And, um, and then we launched Startup in September of 2014. And then in October of 2014, the first season of Serial came out. And so those two things together, Serial by itself, uh, sort of created um, mm-hmm. created this sort of like podcasting wave ecosystem um, that I think, which really made you know, I think made more than anything sort of like set set the ball in motion to making podcasting sort of a a, a home you know like, like a, a mainstream word. How did you decide to move? I mean, obviously you did startup about your startup, but how did you decide to move beyond that? And how did you decide? You know what, what? What? What are you looking for when it comes to something to fit into your family of podcasts? Uh, I, I think there's three basic. I think there's three. I, I think basic motivations for listening to a podcast. There's probably more, but I'll I'll, I'll talk about three. Um, I think one one, and they're often overlapping. One is that you, you it's um, there's a real intimacy to li- listening to somebody in your ear, and you feel like they're your friends. And like when you're listening to Slate. You know, political guy fest. It's like, oh my god, my smart, funny friends are talking about politics. This is exactly the kind of conversation that I want to have if those were my real friends. And so you just—that's you, that's a big part of the appeal. The second bucket is information. Podcasting is one of the things that you can do while you're not doing something else. So like, you can't. What you can be on your on your drive and listening to podcasting, and so there's this real urge to sort of multitask, and it feels you feel really productive because I'm on my drive and I'm learning a thing about politics. <laughs> and then, um, and then the other thing that is really good at is just pure narrative. Like I think since we acquired language, we've been telling stories to each other. There, I do a, a, a talk where I talk about like sort of like. The, the elements of like a very, very pure elements of, of narrative. And if I say, you know, I walked out of my house this morning and I looked up in the sky, you're like, what did you see? <laughs> right? Like, is that symbol? And like, and, uh, and so, so that, that's, that's the, I think that's the third thing. And I think a lot of what we try to do is have at least two of those elements present. Like we're trying to be, like you want this engaging host, you want to be either delivering on the story premise or on the, on the, on the information premise. So now they're going to turn it into a sitcom, I understand. Alex Inc. is the working title or maybe the final title? It's the final title, yeah. And uh, the guys from Scrubs are going to take it on. Uh, how do you feel yeah. about that? 
<laughs> I don't know. I feel, uh, <laughs> I feel uh, Zach Braff, you know. I, yeah, you can I see feel, the resemblance. I mean, obviously, it's very, it's very exciting and very flattering. Flattering, I guess. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's it's just it's so surreal that it's hard to have a feeling about it. I don't I don't I can't imagine that it's actually going to happen. I still don't really fully believe that it's going to happen, and I don't know, and I, and and I don't know if it's going to like stick around. Like lots of TV shows get started, and then there's like two episodes of them, and then they disappear. And so like so I don't know what to prepare for. I feel like I'm preparing for something. Yeah. So. Um, Jacob, you started Trumpcast in the election, uh, obviously for, for obvious reasons. All of a sudden, as, as they say, elections have consequences, mm-hmm. and one of the consequences is that Trumpcast has lived on. Um, it, how, how did you envision, uh, you know, and, and how did you shift gears after the election to make it a steady thing? Yeah, well, the joke of the show was that sort of we're going to be here as long as we need to. And I started the show around uh, February or March 2016 when Trump was briefly sort of surging in the Republican primaries. I thought, well, he won't get the nomination. And then he got the nomination. But I'm only going to be doing it till November. And suddenly November, based on the premise of the show, I was doing it indefinitely forever. So there's obviously a proliferation um, in in this day and age now of certainly a podcast, and it's become sort of you know the, the 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 quick form is it's like the talk radio of the left. But with with Trump's ascendance has come the ascendance of Pod Save America and a lot of other podcasts um, that are looking at the Trump administration. Not a new phenomenon. I mean, it, Fox does very well in Democratic administrations. MSNBC tends to do well in Republican administrations. But how do you think about the landscape that you're operating in? Because some of them are very 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 much just nonstop Trump bashing from start to finish. It's not what I'm trying to do because it's not what's interesting to me, but I do think shows like that, like Pod Save America, can work well. There is a way in which it is the talk radio of of the left, but there's a crucial difference, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Alex, but there's no hate in the world of podcasting. It's because it's an opt-in medium. People don't hate listen. They don't stay involved with things that they disagree with in some fundamental way unless they feel like they're learning from them. And, you know, coming from a career in written journalism, when you write something, you kind of brace yourself for the reaction because mostly the people you hear from are the people who disagree in some way. With podcasting, you get flooded with love. It's really unbelievable. Um, I mean, people just... and, And you almost don't believe it at first if you've come from print. But... The truth is people are only listening if they really relate to what you're doing. And so on Twitter, on social media, everything else can be nasty, but the response to your show is, I love this thing you did, when's the next show, here's an idea for you. And the ideas you get are really good, by the way. The listeners are engaged in that way. So there's this underlying positivity about the medium and this feeling that the listeners are advocates for the medium that I think cuts against that you know, left-right TV thing where there's just a sort of anger at the root of it. And so I, I'm sure everybody who meets you who's heard you but hasn't met even says, oh, you look nothing like I thought. And it's because they've all created an yeah. image of you in their mind. So there's a million different Jacob Weisbergs out there of the listeners who have like sort of like have a version of you. And so when they're listening to your words, they're creating what you look like in their minds. Your words in some way become a part of them. And it, and it has this, like, sort of, like, it's a real vehicle for empathy in this weird way. It's like, it, it, you can, it's a good medium for nuance, and it's a good medium for understanding. Um, whereas, like, I think a lot of other media, 
they, they just want conflict. Like TV just wants conflict. They just it works. You know. Well, that that they, you, you know, I, I was going to ask you why is it that podcasts are succeeding in an environment that every, where it seems to be everything else seems to be going the other direction. Everything else seems to be heavy, heavy conflict, heavy, heavy opinion, and short. Whereas podcast tends to be slightly longer format, slightly less heated, slightly more thoughtful. Why is it that this medium in a, what is a very noisy environment is, is growing and doing well? I mean, I think, I think part of it is like because <laughs> everything else is happening that you... It's the antidote. You're sort of hungry for yeah. that. I think, I think, but I think there's a lot of structural reasons for it. I think one is just information density. There, there's not... You don't have a lot of information density in, in, in a listening environment. Like you can, you can pick up, so it has to be longer because it just takes longer to get the same amount of, the equivalent amount of, it's the, a picture's worth a thousand words. It's, so, so they are by nature going to be longer. Um, but then, so then what are you optimizing for in po- podcasting? You're not optimizing for like massive amounts of information. Um, you're optimizing for emotion. Like, that's what it's good at. It's good at emotional authenticity. And that's why you, like, hang out with people. They're being true to their feelings while they're talking about politics. They're not dry and boring. They're actually real-life people that you want to hang out with. And so that's why, that's why it works. So I, th- I think that has a lot to do with it. It's just that's what the medium's good at. Yeah, I mean, one, one way of thinking of podcasts is public radio with the rules removed. Yeah. So, you know, you take away the 60-minute clock and, and all this formality around when the station breaks are. Um, you take away the FCC, which is crucial. I always say that you don't have to swear on your podcast, but the fact that you can swear creates a certain dynamic of freedom. And you take away the management, you know, and you so someone can create, you know, the show can be 22 minutes one week and 34 minutes the next week. And it can be, you can play with, play with structure in this way. So there's all this creative freedom, and that makes it, I think, more personal, more expressive, and also lets you go deep faster. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of The Daily, The New York Times show, which I'm sure a lot of people listen to. And part of what's great about it is it's short, so it's not a big, it's, you don't have to set aside an hour to listen to it. But how, how do you think about a, a universe where everyone is sort of the same? I mean, at least on the surface, right? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I, I, I think I feel fine. I mean, I think yeah. that's the universe we live in. We all came in. from this universe, though, where there was like this editorial content and advertorial content. It was very separated. Not that brands are going on with one long advertisement. Yeah. If they did, I don't think anyone would listen, right? Yeah, right. But Starbucks I, has a podcast. Goldman has a podcast. And I, I mean, I think it's fine, too. But, but how do you as journalists well, think about that landscape? I think, I think the question is, like, for, for us as a company, I think how we deal with it as a company is, like, very important. But, like, so, so the way we deal with it as a company is that when we make podcasts for brands, we do it under a different banner. It's called Gimlet Creative. And there's a different set of rules and a different set of expectations. And, like, that's very clear. There's separate teams that work on them. Um, and and we and we and we make every effort to signal to the listener that this is a this is and this is not an editorial product. This is a this is a brand podcast product, and the brand is going to make the final editorial decisions. Um, so so, but yeah, but I don't. But they're going to be out, and that's important from the company perspective because they're going to be mixing together in the iTunes store, and there's not any distinction there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not all podcasts that a company like ours makes are journalism. And not all the advertising is advertising. So one of the first shows we did at Panoply 
was something called The Message, which we did with GE, which was a science fiction show, and it was created by a sponsor through their advertising agency, but the sponsor was never mentioned anywhere in the show. Mm -hmm. And the show was a piece of science fiction storytelling. It was really good. It went to number one. But we made it, we took on the job of making this show as a really entertaining show, and we were delighted that GE didn't want to push a heavy-handed message through it because we thought it would have undermined the, the appeal of the program. But there is a lot of in-between space here that can be uncomfortable for people who come out of a church and state envir environment. I mean, we read, I read sponsor messages on my podcast. I can do that because of the precedent of old-time radio, and, and radio has, has always done advertising in that format. There's, there's, the print equivalent of that is against the rules, but I think you have to go to the principles. The principles are you don't want the advertising to influence the content, and you don't want to confuse your listeners or readers about what is advertising and what is editorial content. And in fact, on podcasts, no one is being no one's confused. Conf yes. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just quickly, what do, you, what do you think the future of the business is or the future of the, the, the medium? I, I mean, I, I, I like to say at panels like this that we're at the dawn of the second golden age of audio. I think that like, if you think about the first golden age, it was like 20s, 30s radio. Radio was king. Everybody had a radio. Uh, and all these big names got started, you know, Lucille Ball and like Orson Welles and CBS got started around then. And then TV came along and sort of like, People had their radios in their corner and they sat around and looked at them, but of course they don't have any pictures on the radio and then TV comes along and they're like, oh, we're going to stick that in the corner and watch it because it's much better to watch. But now with like on-demand, now that we have on-demand audio available to everyone, it's changing the form the same way that on-demand TV changed the form. And, and I think we're just going to see an explosion of, we're seeing and we are going to continue to see an explosion of new kinds of programming. I think it's going to continue to penetrate mainstream behavior. Um, and I think, I think in the future, do you listen to podcasts is going to be as, as weird a question as do you watch video? <laughs> you know, they're going to say, what, do you, what kind of podcast do you listen to? Do, would you like reality podcasts? Do you like narrative podcasts? Do you like fiction podcasts? I think that's, that's where we're headed. Yeah. yeah, and that's already for people in their 20s. That's, we're already there. Yeah. But I think for the older audience, for people, say, over 50, it's tougher to get people to adapt, and I don't know that they really are going to necessarily right. shift over to on-demand. I mean, as Alex says, you know, this is... It's really, it's really fun to be involved in this right now because you have this feeling, which I also experienced when we were first developing internet journalism at Slate, that we're inventing this new medium. There's bottomless possibility, and there's all this enthusiasm and excitement about it. And there are things like, I mean, around the, the uh, drama and storytelling shows that aren't journalism but are fiction, you know, that really went out in America in the 1960s, yeah. and it's coming back. And suddenly, you know, you have a medium, and you have storytellers, and you have new kinds of stories, but you have to retrain the audience, but there's an audience that's ready to, to do this. And I just have to say, it's so, it's so much fun to be involved in this yeah. right now. So now, as an entrepreneur, what advice would you give to someone who's, who's starting a business? Um, uh, so I, I feel somewhat ill-equipped to answer that question because I feel like every entrepreneur's journey is, is, is like, it makes it seem like there's rules. And in my case, I didn't feel like there was rules. Uh, and I'm not, I don't think I'm an entrepreneur by nature. Like, I think I chose a, I'm very much of the school of like, I had this subject 
area that I knew about, and I saw a business opportunity within the subject area that I knew about, and I started a company in that subject area. Um, so if you are in that scenario, maybe my words make sense, I would um, just keep focusing on the thing that, that you love about that thing that has made you good at it. Um, and um, use that as sort of like your, your guiding star. So you're teaching young journalists or aspiring journalists today. What advice would you give a journalist, an aspiring journalist today? Well, one is that you need to understand the business to, for self-protection reasons, if no other. When I went into journalism, you could just be a good journalist and leave the business side to other yeah. people. But now it's evolving so quickly that I think it's crucial that you understand what business model supports what you do, whether it's sustainable and what the future, future of it is. Yeah, I mean, as evidenced by this conversation, yeah. neither one of you started out to be a business person. You started as journalists, and yet you've had to, yeah. for better or for worse, and, and I, the business. I, by the way, I love being a business person. <laughs> I love it. Like, I was not expecting to love it as much as I do, and I just, I, I really, really... But you wouldn't be doing it if, you, if not for podcasting, probably. You wouldn't no. be running a different kind of business. And I feel the same way, you know, it's Slade. At some point, I became the editor, and at some point, I just became responsible for it all. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like it too. And you know, I think the way in which a lot of uh, journalists underestimate business is they think they do something creative and it's not creative. That could not be more wrong. I mean, business is incredibly creative and it's incredibly hard. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's, uh, it, has more, it has more ups and downs than journalism does. All right, well, thank you guys for joining yeah. us. It was a great discussion. Thank, thank you, Jake. That concludes this episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. To listen and watch more talks at GS Conversations with leaders from fields as diverse as business, technology, and sports, people like Ariana Huffington, Satya Nadella, David Beckham, and others, visit GS.com and type in Talks at GS. I'm Jake Seward, and we hope you join us again next time. This podcast was recorded on January 31st, 2018. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast is not financial research, nor a product of Goldman Sachs Global Investment Research. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.